0: You can turn your Bibles this morning to Psalm 126, the 126th Psalm. I have a question this morning as we begin. What are your dreams? What are your dreams? For some, it might have been to win a football game, it might be to live in a different house, it might be to go to a particular school. Might be to see your grandchildren grow up healthy. Might be to go travel. Go see a certain place. What are your dreams? This morning I want to challenge you with the thought that God desires for you to dream dreams. And God desires for you to live out those dreams. But the problem is... We have to stop and ask, where where is, is this coming from? What, what's the source of our dreams, of our desires, of this list of things that we would like to accomplish? Well, sometimes the source can be other people, and that's often the wrong source. You know, a mom and dad instructing a teenager, this is exactly what your life should be, this is exactly where you should go, and that's instruction's not wrong, but sometimes the dreams of that young person become the dreams of the mom or the dreams of the dad. could be our friends, our peers, influencing us and coming alongside. But my challenge this morning is that I believe with all my heart, and I believe the word of God supports this, that God has dreams for us. That God looks at our lives and he has plans and goals and purposes and a focus for our lives. I believe God wants to use us in his dreams, in his purpose, in his focus. And so when we begin to understand what are God's dreams for our lives, what is it that God desires for us and to do through us? then truly we can begin to live out God's dreams in our lives and begin to understand what it means to see God fulfill those dreams. And Psalm 126 points us in this direction. It says in verse 1, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream." Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Our our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bringing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. When God works in our lives, when God reaches down with his finger and he begins to stir in our lives through events or circumstances or other people, and we begin to understand that that God's at work, that God is doing something, It truly is like a dream. The psalmist said when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, this imprisonment that the people of God were experiencing, when God broke the chains of bondage, when God released them, whether it was from Egypt or from Babylon or from whatever slavery it might have been, he said when God did that, when God worked in our lives, we were like them that dreamed. It's like living outside of our own experience. It's enjoying things that we never thought possible. It's being places we never thought we might be able to go. We're like those that dream. When God reaches in and begins to work in our lives, it truly is like a dream. It surprises us. It's amazing to us. It's exhilarating to us. You remember when you came to Christ. It might have been 60 years ago. It might have been 10 years ago. It might have been last week. But when God reached into your life and he brought to light the things of God and he brought to light your sin and he showed you his great love for you through the work of Christ and you stepped out in faith, your life changed. The bondage was broken. The old things were made new. The old creation was recreated. It's like a dream. One of the first people that came to Christ in our ministry in the little city of Chun. It was right in the center of the country. We were there starting a little church and working in this little town and trying to reach people. This woman's name was Kim Um-gyung. Kim Young. Kim and Young had come from just a, a terrible background and from a terrible situation Her husband was abusive physically and emotionally, mentally, every which way. He was abusive and wanted nothing to do with God or the the wealth and well-being of their family. She had studied with several different cults trying to find truth and trying to find peace. And when she came into contact with our little church ministry... She claimed to be an atheist. She claimed that there was no God, that there was no peace in this life. But she began to respond to the kindness and the love and the generosity of that little group of people, that little group of Christians. And over a period of several months, she was responding to that and coming in and getting closer and being taught the truths of God's word. Finally, on the very day that she was led in prayer to receive Christ as her Savior, as soon as she had prayed that simple prayer, she looked up, and just an exclamation from the depths of her heart, she said, I have been so brainwashed. It's like a dream. It's like a dream when God reaches in and he begins to work in our lives and when he does his work through us and in us. And we see this in verse two. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. The praises that come from the depths of our heart in response to God who's working in us in response to answered prayer that we've lifted up over various needs and over various impossible situations, that praise, that joy, that gratitude and thanksgiving, there is no comparison to the amusements of this world. There's no comparison even to the joy or the despair of a football game, is there? There's this great... Deep, eternal joy that comes when God's at work in our lives. When God is using us to have an impact in our neighborhood. When God is using us to make a difference in our town or in our city. When God is using us to make a difference in nations. There's nothing that compares to that deep abiding joy. That we are in absolute awe when God is at work. It was right at 20 years ago that five other missionaries and myself, we were gathering together on a monthly basis. We would pray together. We would ask God, God, do something. Open the doors of North Korea. Give us an opportunity. Let us see your hand at work. Two years of us gathering. We came from all over South Korea, different parts of the country, Various ministries, various involvements. But we would come together and spend a couple of days together just praying and asking God to do a work. And inevitably, as we prayed together, God would begin to just break our hearts. The the weight and the emotion as we thought about North Korea and 25 million people without the gospel, they claim to be the, great, the, the most atheistic nation in the world. And it's a harsh place. It's a paranoid place. People are taught from the time that they begin to walk to tell on one another that the greatest goal in life is to bring glory to the regime. The video mentioned the flooding of two years ago. Flash floods came about 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning down from the mountain into the small city where our work is in the north. And it was as though God was just directing that river of water directly at the factory. It's a pharmaceutical factory where our people work. And as it entered into the facilities, it directly hit dead center on our team's apartment and offices. The eventual flooding was about four and a half feet deep. No one was injured or killed at the factory. There was a great loss. All of the materials and the machinery and all was greatly damaged. But no people were lost at the factory. However, that flooding that went through devastating apartment buildings and other areas coming at that time of night, that time of the morning, many, many people died. Some national heroes came out of that flooding. A woman was honored because even though her two children drowned in the flooding, she salvaged the portraits of the great leader and the dear leader. That was her goal. The blindness and the darkness that God has brought us out of. And as we thought of that, 20 years ago, we prayed over that. God would inevitably break our hearts and we would just weep as we prayed. God, open a door. And now as we've watched God slowly, meticulously open doors and lead and work. Even though the U.S. State Department has said Americans can't go in. We're trying to legally operate within the rules of getting that overturned and getting it changed to where our people can go in. But just last week, we were given a 10-year license for our business. It's like a dream when God's at work when God wants to use your life, when God wants to use you to speak to someone, when God wants to use you to influence someone's life, when God wants to use you to take steps of faith that no one else is willing to take. Then, is our mouth filled with laughter, our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord had done great things for us. Not only does it bring joy to us, but the unbeliever looks on and they said, what's going on in that place? What's different about that family? What's different about that person's life? The unbeliever looks on in their blindness and in their darkness and they say, there's something different there. I want what they have. I want to experience what they've experienced. The unbelievers are taught and they come to Christ. One of the factory managers at the pharmaceutical factory where our team now is working and doing their business. He was a very gregarious fellow, friendly guy. But as he watched our team leader, he realized there was something different about him. And God God led and worked and made some very public events come about that were just miraculous. And that factory manager was watching the team leader. He said, there's something there. But he couldn't talk to him inside the offices. Everything is bugged and wired, and, and there's microphones everywhere. He couldn't talk to him out in the work areas because everyone's listening and turning others in constantly. But the unique element about the factory is there's no indoor plumbing. So the factory manager started watching. And every time our team leader would make the 100-foot walk to the outhouse, he would take a walk. The outhouse isn't a place you want to be. Summertime, it's buggy and smells exactly the way you can imagine it smells. It's a filthy place. The wintertime, the temperature is about zero. No one wants to spend any time there. But this gentleman wanted what he saw in the life of the team leader. He began going to the outhouse just so there would be some privacy, just so he could ask his questions, just so he could hear and eventually did hear the entirety of the love of God for him and the potential for him to come to Christ and to receive Christ as his savior. The heathen look on and they say, God is doing something and they, they want that. But then I want you to see what the greatest result that I think we experience and and moves in our lives is in verse three. And he says, the Lord hath done great things for us wherever we're glad. Now, this is the result is this. We're learning to walk by faith. Verse three, he says, God, I look back at the past and 20 years ago, I see you did that. 10 years ago, you did this. And Lord, I remember when you did that over in, in the neighborhood where you let me speak up for you, and you did a work there. And Lord, I remember last year in our family, the miracle you worked. And God, I remember even just last week what you did. We're reminded of all of the work of God in our lives. And he says, the Lord hath done great things for us, and we are so glad for that. But then there's verse 4. This is where we're learning to walk by faith. Turn again our captivity, O oh Lord, as the streams in the south.
1: Lord, I look back on
0: what you did then and what you did there and with those people and even there. And Lord, I see all of that and I'm so thankful for that. But God, right now, This is a bad place. Right now, it's like I'm back in captivity. God, right now, it seems as though you're so far away. It seems as though you're not hearing any prayer. It seems as though no one is listening. Lord, right now, this hurts. And I see no way out. Lord, would you do that again? God, would you do that again? Just like the streams in the south. And we don't quite understand that picture. But the south land, the Negev, the south land of Israel, of Palestine, was a very fertile area. The soil was rich and good for farming yet it was very dry. The rainfall only came in seasons. It wasn't consistent. And so there were stream beds throughout the Southland that would dry up during the dry season. And yet that was also the growing season. But that stream bed would dry up. And it was only in the seasonal rains. God sometimes called it in the Bible the early rains and the later rains. The seasonal rains would come and then those dry stream beds would flood and they'd be filled with water, but it was for a very limited time. And the farmers, the wise farmers, they would take their seeds and they would bag them up and they would pack them up and put them on the backs of their donkeys or on their camels, and they would begin to make their way into the Southland. And as they traveled into the Southland, it was risky and it was dangerous because all of the roadways into the Southland were filled with bandits, thieves, those who would attack them and beat them and leave them for dead and steal all their goods. And so it was risky, and it was hard, and it was fearful. And they would go into the hard places. And as they went toward those fertile lands where they were going to try to plant their seeds, they would have to cross the dry stream beds. And I can't help but think that as those farmers who had their seeds packed up, everything of value to them was there and they made their way across that dry stream bed that they didn't in their heart look up to the the sky that looked just like brass, not a cloud in the sky. And they would say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Send your rain. And then they would go out to those dry fields. And they would begin to work and to labor to break up that hard, dry ground. And in their heart of hearts, they would say, Lord, prove yourself again. Do it again. And then they would go and pull down the sacks of seed. And they would open it up and they would take that seed that they could have sold. They could have gone to market. They could have traded it. But they would take that seed that it was of such value. And they would step out onto that ground that they had just broken up. And they would look up into the sky and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And they would take it and in faith, as they prayed, Lord, do it again, they would cast their seed out onto the field. And sometimes they were men of faith. They were men of trust. They were men that had confidence in God's promises. But sometimes the emotion and the strain and the stress was so great that they would weep as they cast the seed, taking the very best that they had and putting it completely in God's hands. Saying, God, do your work again. And the psalmist said, They that sow in tears will reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. Jill and I look back on 30 years and there's been a lot of mistakes, a lot of things we would do different, but God's blessed. And we can point to those who came to Christ. We can point to churches that are there because of God's faithfulness. We can point to people that are now serving all across Asia and literally around the world that are missionaries that we had a small part in training. Some of the interns who came to work with us, some for months, some for years, now in faithful service to the Lord in many, many places, some in North Korea. And we look back at that and we look at the hardship now and we look at the steps of faith now and we look at the hard things now and we say, Lord, do it again. God, would you do it again? Would you give us that double portion? It's risky. It requires faith. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some very hard things. And right now, wherever you're at in your life, if you know Christ as your Savior, He's wanting you to be right in that place. He's wanting you to go to the hard places. He's wanting you to cross the dry stream bed. He's wanting you to take that which is most valuable to you and just cast it out for Him to bring to fruit. He wants to work in your life. And the question is, what are your dreams? What are the dreams that God wants to dream through you? It might be touching the lives of a bunch of sixth graders or maybe the teens or maybe the young couples in this community for Christ. It might be that God wants you to take steps of faith in your family that you say, I can't do that. He's asking you to dream his dreams, to let him dream his dreams through you. And it might be this morning. This is a a church with heritage. The name is Heritage, but it's a church with heritage. It's a church with depth. It's a church with years of families growing in Christ. What if it was that God wanted to take some of your very best? Would you be willing? Would you be willing? Someone asked, I don't even know if it was, maybe it was at the banquet last night. Do your kids speak Korean? Five kids, do they speak Korean? Oh, by the way, if you're praying for God to give us a double portion, we're not asking for a double portion of five kids. (laughs) But among your kids, do they speak Korean? And all of them are at different levels. The one who is the very best is our 35-year-old daughter, her and her husband, Sam. They're in China. They're a part of the team. They've gone in and out of North Korea. They're part of working for the North Korea work. The second best is our youngest. He's 20. He's gone through some tough things in his life. I had the privilege of teaching a missions course that he sat in on last year. And God just broke my heart as I was teaching this group of Bible college students. And I looked at him and I said, son, I don't know what God has for you. I don't know what God's will is for you. But with your Korean ability and your understanding of the Korean culture and life, you've at least got to pray about North Korea. You've at least got to ask God, is it possible that you'd want me there? What are the dreams that God wants to dream through you? What is it that God wants to do through you? Will you let him call you into this life of risk and this life of difficulty to take these steps of faith. Would you bow your heads with me, please?